She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Leader McConnell seems to take great pride in calling himself the Grim Reaper. It's part of his political campaign. It's part of the pride he takes as leader of the Senate. And as you see what he wants to bury, none of these things are going to pass. They won't even be voted on. He wants to bury the For the People Act for cleaner government, the Equality Act uh, for ending discrimination against LGBTQ community. He's burying that. Climate action now. Climate action now. Let's bury that. For the first time in my memory, I agree with Nancy Pelosi. I am indeed the Grim Reaper when it comes to the socialist agenda that they've been ginning up over in the House with overwhelming Democratic support and sending it over to America, things that would turn us into a country we've never been. And now, Stacey Washington. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm really happy that um, that Mitch McConnell owns who he is. He knows who he is. He's perfectly fine with it, and I like it. I think it's perfect that he would admit that he agrees with Nancy Pelosi and he doesn't want to enact her crazy pants agenda. Good. I'm glad. I, I think all most of us are glad. Um, so speaking of crazy agendas, and we're going to be digging in with Karen Cataline. You know, she is with women, uh, men's rights group Edmonton. And oh, I love it when she comes on. She's got a piece out why they hate Trump. This is going to be a great interview. She'll be with us next segment. And we're also going to dig into... Um, the stenographers are the regimes that basically constitute the American press. And you'll get to hear that little bit, a smidgen of audio from uh, National Security Advisor John Bolton. Oh, okay. Let's go to the phones really quickly before we get to Julian Castro telling a woman who had her identity stolen that crime happens. Yeah, that's the Democrats' attitude towards you being victimized by illegal aliens. Crime happens. All right, Billy in Illinois. Thanks for calling the show today. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I just wanted your opinion on how badly you think Trump's chances are in 2020 because of um, not getting immigration stuff through as we all want and he wants because of Democrats and rhinos. Okay, so... First of all, the president does have the advantage of being the incumbent. The negatives that he has going against him are obviously a lot of Americans who listen to drive-by media have heard basically one thing about President Trump, and that is that he is an incompetent liar and he does not deserve a second term. And Facebook has assisted in this spreading and peddling of lies by saying, uh, well, not by saying, but by tamping down in the midterm in 2018, they tamped down on the conservative message and elevated the liberal message to suburban white women, which meant that those women saw these negative messages and shifted their votes and sent a lot of Democrats to the House of Representatives. They could do something similar to try to take back the Senate, although it doesn't look likely. They definitely could strengthen their position in the House, which isn't good for us. What we really need is to take the House back, maintain or even grow our lead and uh, the control over the Senate, and then reelect President Trump. Now, this can happen. It's not impossible, but there's voter fraud. I mean, there's a lot of different things that the Democrats have in their toolkit that can make it very difficult for the president to be reelected. As it stands, I'm praying for his reelection. And I know so many other millions of Americans are. 
And that's my encouragement to anybody who's feeling, if you're feeling iffy about it, or if it doesn't feel like it's likely, first of all, look at the candidates that the Democrats are running. It's pretty obvious their nominee is going to be Joe Biden, and he's probably going to tap Elizabeth Warren or perhaps Kamala Harris, although Kamala Harris has, a, a, she has some negatives that are not good for her. Like they're nationally speaking, the more people learn about her, well, you know, who, who knows? Because um, we're in drag queen story time America right now. So, you know, anything's possible. But my, my encouragement to anyone, if you feel even the slightest bit of hesitancy over the president re- winning re-election, pray about it. And don't just pray by yourself. Yes, pray by yourself. Don't, you know, but don't just. How about getting a group of women together? If you're, you know, if you're so inclined, y'all have coffee and you pray for the president and his reelection once a week, once a month, uh, every day, have a conference call, whatever. Whenever we get together and we pray together in unison, we are energizing and supercharging, supercharging what we're able to do in our prayer walk. So that's what my, I recommend people to do. In the natural, Donald Trump shouldn't have been able to beat Hillary Clinton because she was the household name and in a political sense, and he was the household name in just, you know, a TV sense. A businessman who made the last 15 years of his career all about running a television show, he shouldn't have been able to get elected, but he, but he did. He, he was elected. So anything's possible. So don't, don't give up. Don't lose heart. Instead, continue to pray about it. And to expect good things, maintaining a positive, upbeat demeanor about things and not becoming discouraged is just as integral as as anything else you're doing. But at the top of that list is obviously prayer. So um, let's listen to Julian Castro. Now, admittedly, this guy is an immigration activist. He doesn't believe in America. He thinks America is just a glorified extension of Mexico. But to have the kind of brazen, you know, in your face just disregard for Americans to be able to say this to this woman's face is he's one of those people when I see him on TV can we just talk for a second I'm thinking about choking him I have to tell myself to stop thinking about it because I just I don't mean I want to choke him out like kill him I just think to myself he is such a horrible person he should be choked but not by me maybe like by um the (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Wait, there's a couple options here. Instead of choking him, it could be the classic backhand of the 1950s. Remember when in movies when women were insulted, they would backhand and they would start out. It's basically like you have to turn all the way around. The woman would be facing the person and they would. it's as if they're reaching around behind themselves and then they rear their arm back around and it's a backhand and it's so epic. And you, they could knock down a person of much bigger size than themselves with this epic backhand that used to be a thing. It's no longer a thing. Uh, uh, yes, I'm talking about violence in a, you know, um, I'm being facetious here. Obviously, I don't want to choke anybody. I'm not a violent person. But this man brings these thoughts out in me. He makes me think to myself, what's happening to me right now? Because all I can think about is, you know, the backhand, the choke, the, the force choke from uh, Star Wars. You know, remember when Darth Vader used to get upset with the uh, generals and the little leaders and his, uh, you know, imperial army and they'd be talking and he would just squeeze his fingers together (laughs) and choke them (laughs) 
Oh, good times. Back when Star Wars still rocked. All right. So here's Julian Castro talking about American crime victim that she that she should just understand that crime happens. It's number two. Um, So I personally have had my Social Security number used by an illegal immigrant. He was caught and then released on his own recognizance, never to be heard from again. Um, My question is, would you be willing to penalize offenders taking advantage of Americans by having them not released if they are known to be illegal? Thank you very much for the question. Um, Let me begin the answer to that question by saying, look, uh, all of us know as human beings that regardless of circumstance, whether people are rich or poor, no matter the color of their skin, what their background is, that people commit crime. Crime happens. (laughs) So (laughs) crime happens. (laughs) Not the guy should be deported. Not we all know that no matter what your ethnic group, crime happens. Yes, we know that. But if you are not supposed to be here, um, then if you weren't here, then the crime wouldn't happen. So there'd be less crime. Right? Yeah, there would be less crime. And then if there was less crime, then fewer Americans would experience the negativity of uh, having their identity stolen. And then if their identities weren't stolen, they could focus their energies on something else because people who have their identities stolen end up having to spend hours and hours of their personal time trying to right the ship and prove that they are who they are. So I, I just, there is no justification for him to say something like that to her. None. All right. Pivoting over. Cause it's Friday. Um, remember yesterday I was talking about this whole, uh, case for reparations. Now you may recall me talking on the show a little bit occasionally. And in the past, I've mentioned Ta-Nehisi Coates and there's another guy, actor, Danny Glover. You remember him? He used to act in those movies with Mel Gibson and he was super funny in those. And those, that was back when Hollywood was still like, we didn't know everything we know now and we weren't scary spice for Hollywood. Well, Danny Glover and Tahanisi Coates are going to testify before the house judiciary committee on the constitution, civil rights and civil liberties, a committee if that committee should be disbanded. They want to be there because the, the hearing's stated purpose will be to examine through open and constructive discourse the legacy of the transatlantic slave trade and its continuing impact on the community and the path to restorative justice. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, as I did when I first read this article, why would we need to discuss the transatlantic slave trade now? Because it's getting close to an election. And it's time for Democrats to remind all of us black people that we were once slaves. Even the blacks who have immigrated here from other countries recently who have never been descended from slaves, they need to be reminded that because they have the permanent tan, they're a part of the legacy of slavery as well. Whether they're Americans or here on a work visa or they're refugees, whatever they are, they need to also wear the mantle of oppression with us homegrown black folk and All of us should sit around staring at our arms and legs and whatever part of our skin we can see and mourning and weeping and wailing and gnashing our teeth and flogging ourselves and pointing our fingers at white people and saying, you're white, you're horrible, and we hate you because you are a part of the legacy of slavery that oppresses us and keeps us from accomplishing anything to this day. Now, other people may be willing to sit around and do that, but you will never catch me sitting around blaming white people for any problems that I have or blaming people who have no connection to slavery whatsoever for slavery. Why do we have to talk about it? Because 
Democrats can't run on the economy. They can't run on jobs. They can't run on infrastructure. They can't run on border security. They can't run on foreign policy. They can't run on wartime operations, peacetime operations. They can't run on uh, improving inner cities, improving rural areas, improving suburban areas. They can't run on management. They can't even run on friendship. You know, Joe Biden sniffing the women's hair. That's not friendly. All the different things that they could possibly have to run on, and there's a million gazillion of them, they can't. They can't even run on their social issues because nobody agrees with them on their allegiance to transgenders. It's crazy the way that they treat aborting a full-term baby as if it's the same as, you know, buying an ice cream cone. None of the stuff that they're advocating for is workable or makes any sense. And so, slavery. So this hearing will be held on June 19th. It's going to coincide with Juneteenth, which is a cultural holiday commemorating the emancipation of enslaved blacks in America. Now, every year on Juneteenth, full disclosure, Project 21, which I'm co-chair of, we always put out a press release about Juneteenth. And in my comments for the press release, I always talk about how Americans have more opportunity than at any other point in the history of this nation. And that as a black American, it is a privilege to be able to reach out and grab those opportunities and partake of them. That's always my theme. Because it is not slavery that determines the trajectory of my life right now. No way. I either believe that God is Lord over all and all I have to do is obey him and line myself up with what his word says and pray. And if I pray the will of the father, it will be done. That goes over every area of my life. Marriage, kids, household, work, friendships, you name it. And wherever I'm out of line with what God's word says, then I'm going to see the beginnings and then development of chaos because that's what sin brings. And the minute I say, you know what, I'm turning away from this drama. I'm getting back in line with what God says. That's when the chaos will begin to end. So if (laughs) you want to partake of the bounty that is America, the bounty The land of milk and honey, the place where the blessings can run you down and overtake you, the place where God, he's ordained this country to leadership on the world stage. You're living here. You already are a million times ahead, like so far ahead of anybody else in any other country, just by virtue of being in this country. And if you hold citizenship in this country, you're even light years ahead of the illegal aliens who are here and they're still scratching and killing it. And they don't, they're not even supposed to be here. So This whole idea is to get people talking and thinking of themselves as victims, and you can't let them do that to you. It's wrong. Who cares about reparations and who cares about Juneteenth? Here's Walker Wildman for Redeem Clean Laundry Products. Not only do you get a great product and you get to obviously clean your clothes, get the stains out and use a multi-surface cleaner to clean your countertops and use the dryer sheets. You're doing all of this and the money's going to support the work of American Family Association. Redeem Clean Laundry products were developed by AFA supporters Lynn Ingram and Jim Duncan to assist in funding the mission of the American Family Association. Redeem Clean products work as well as or better than other products on the market. They're environmentally safe, biodegradable, and they're made right here in the United States. The great thing about Redeem Clean is not only is the product great, but it goes to support a great cause, and that is the work of American Family Association. For clean laundry and a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. 
visit redeemclean.afastore.net. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas has been criticized for writing the truth about the connection of abortion to eugenics. His 20-page concurring opinion in a case dealing with an Indiana law allowed him to educate us about our history. The law required that fetal remains be disposed of in a respectful manner, but also prohibited abortion solely on the basis of race, sex, or disability of the baby. Justice Thomas wrote that the use of abortion to achieve eugenic goals is not merely hypothetical. The foundations for legalizing abortion in America were laid during the early 20th century birth control movement. That movement developed alongside the American eugenics movement, and significantly Planned Parenthood founder Margaret Sanger recognized the eugenic potential of her cause. He also pointed to Margaret Sanger's Negro Project and reminded us that because of abortion, there are areas of New York City in which black children are more likely to be aborted than they are to be born alive, and they are eight times more likely to be aborted than white children in the same area. He concludes that enshrining a constitutional right to an abortion based solely on race, sex, or disability of an unborn child, as Planned Parenthood advocates, would constitutionalize the views of the 20th century eugenics movement. Those criticizing Justice Thomas do so for one of two reasons. I suspect many don't know America's history with eugenics and the history of Planned Parenthood. They believe he is making this up. Others probably know the history and are furious that he is attempting to educate a new generation about the birth control movement and the eugenics movement. Justice Thomas has provided a service by showing the connection between an Indiana law and our sad history with eugenics. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. For a free copy of Kirby's booklet, A Biblical View on Socialism, go to viewpoints.info slash socialism. That's viewpoints.info slash socialism. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey there. Welcome. Welcome to the program. Thank you for being with us. It's my pleasure to welcome our next guest to the show, Karen Cataline. She's with Men's Rights Edmonton, and she is a columnist, and uh, she hosts a radio program. Fantastic to have you back with us, Karen. Great to talk to you again, Stacey. Um, I, I hate to correct you, but I don't, I'm not in Edmonton at all, and not Men's Rights, but I think I know who you're talking about, oh. Karen Strawn. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, so, so... I've interviewed her before, but that's yeah. okay. My name She's is pretty Karen fantastic. Kathleen, and I'm in... Uh, Colorado, okay, and uh, and I'm a commentary and com- columnist, and it's funny because I know Karen Strawn, and I've interviewed her. She's terrific. Yes, she is, and so are you. So please forgive me for <laughs> mixing your two bios no, no. up there. No problem. Um, Not but at you all. do. You <laughs> mentioned you have a radio show, and what can you give us the info on that? You betcha. It is an internet regular radio show every Tuesday at four o'clock Eastern um, and two o'clock Mountain Time called. Spouting off, and in mm. fact, I'm writing my second book um, that pretty soon will have advanced uh, uh, reservations for, advanced uh, purchase for, called Spouting Off uh, Boundaries, Limited Government, and Personal Accountability. Mm. So okay, that's that's some good stuff. 
Yeah, that sounds like yeah, that's going to yeah. be awesome. You'll have to come on and talk to us about it once it's launched so we can uh, get the skinny and kind of have our, our be ready with our little Amazon ordering buttons or what have you. Um, oh, so you, I love it. Thank you. You have a piece out, Why They Hate Trump. I'm dying to hear what you've come up with because the Trump derangement syndrome is pretty strong. Yeah, and you know, it's funny. And that is me. I'm the one that wrote that. And um, it's at my website, SarahCataline.com. And my first title for it was, They Don't Hate Trump. And I really stand by that, but uh, I go on to explain why that is. Uh, Even before he was inaugurated, uh, and I use this word on purpose, they've been trumping up hate for Donald Trump. And so now uh, what they've tried to do and succeeded with some segment of the population is to make it not only cool to hate Trump, but to make it cool to be as crazy and insane as possible hating him, and he's continuing to show otherwise. And and my question is, people always say, well, they hate Trump so much, you've heard this, that uh, they hate him more than they love our country. Well, I'm not sure they hate him at all, frankly. I think they hate what he stands for. And to me, that is much more disturbing that they... Because let's face it, what does he stand for? If he were to abandon the policies why we, everyday people, sent him to Washington, I don't think they hate him quite as much. Uh, The left is never going to love him, but certainly the Republicans aren't going to keep trying to sabotage him. And things like government being accountable to the people instead of people being accountable to the government. Or going after the true lies and corruption and crony capitalism. I've got a bunch of bullet points on my piece, but there's one I didn't mention. And that is politicians have been spinning this yarn that, oh, governing is so difficult. It's so difficult to get anything done. And we can't secure the borders because the other side just won't do it. And, and, and they knew that with a Donald Trump who historically did something nobody's ever done, which is to win the presidency and to beat all these political machines, never having run for office before. They knew he represented somebody who would poke giant holes, drive a truck through those lies. And he's shown that the only reason they didn't do a lot of the things they promised is because they didn't want to. I could say more, but I'll stop there for a moment because I'm going on and on and on. Well, okay, so you're you're making fantastic points. I, I, so I, I'm not sure about them not hating him personally because of the personal attacks that they level at him and his family. They're so virulent and so pointed and and you know exacting in their criticism of his appearance, the way he talks, his intelligence, his his uh, you know business background, his his businesses, his marriages, his children. Um, even the the minor child, they they just seem to be unable to find anything about him that they can say something nice about. But I agree with you. The long term strategy for them is to oppose him on everything because his agenda runs counter to the one that they're for, which is globalism. He seems to be very in tune with the American psyche and wanting to protect what we have as a country. And that's exciting mm-hmm. to me because you always want someone, especially if it's a man in a leadership role, you want that man to be 
very much on the side of whatever he's leading. You want him to be pro, you know, if it's a company, to be pro that company. You don't want to have a person leading a corporation, a business, anything, where they're actually more favorable to the competition than they are to the business they're leading. But the Democrats seem to want that. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I realize we are talking in generalities. For example, there are strategists who have been trying to trump up this hate, uh, you know, on the left, and then some colluders, I hate to use the word, like John, the late John McCain, who were colluding with these haters, trying to bring down a duly elected president or making sure that he never got elected through felonious and, uh, and fraudulent means. But then there's the hangers-on, who I think hate Trump, but when you ask them, well, what do you hate about Trump? I mean, yes, I mean, it's, it's a fine distinction, but I don't think that the people inside the Beltway, they know they had to stop Trump, and they were willing, or thought they did, they were willing to destroy their own credibility which was hanging by a thread anyway, in order to go after him and destroy him. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. I'm not that old. I'm, I'm older probably than you. But I haven't seen anything like this where they're willing to hold on to a narrative that everybody knows is a lie, but they keep on doing it so that they can um, buffalo the people that only read headlines or maybe not even that. So, and they've succeeded frighteningly with the mainstream media in their pockets. Uh, they've succeeded in making people think, for example, that Trump is a racist. He's no such thing. There's no evidence of it. He's no such thing. But boy, oh boy, if you, if you call someone a racist, you've got license to hate them uh, in a bigoted way <laughs> that, uh, you know, no other hate is is possible, you know? I know. I I agree. It's but it's also one of those like badges of honor. Like so what I've noticed if I'm if I'm just in passing, flipping through and I see one of those award shows, or if I'm watching clips and I watch some from the award shows, sometimes in a lull where people aren't clapping, the person on the stage will just say something negative about Donald Trump and the entire room will erupt. It's almost like a magic applause button just say something nasty about the president and they immediately and then Uh it's also a virtue signal like if you're not sure if everyone in the room likes you or is on your side or even knows who you are you crack wise about the president and then everyone's like oh you know clapping and acting as if you're their best friend but how long can that last and what is that really based upon that's not a true like meeting of the minds or you know we're on the same on this issue that's just we all hate the same one guy yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And having been a professional performer, I have a real checkered background. Uh, when I was doing showbiz stuff, it was just stunning to me. It makes total sense that the great majority of uh, actors and actresses and entertainers are leftists because they don't tend to go very deep sometimes. I understand that acting itself, you know, you want to be involved in the personality of the character you're playing and all of that. But they're so into the superficial show instead of the reality that it, 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 it is beautiful. It flies beautifully with the, um, with the superficiality of leftist politics, which is appearances are more important than reality. If you care about the results of some of their horrible policies, 
it's hard to be a Democrat. But if you never care about the results, if you never care about the reality, you only care about the show, uh, then it's a lot easier to be a Democrat. Well, and there, there, I, I have to, I agree with you, but I, I want to point out that the people who are the most rabid Democrats and the loudest, the ones who are out in, in the public eye doing it, are the ones who are most insulated from the effect of the policies. So like Alyssa Milano, for instance, she's a hardcore That's Democrat, true. but she's also, yeah, but she's rich, right? So she lives in an area of the country. Point. Yeah. So she can't be impacted. So even if illegal immigrants are in her community, they're there working at people's houses, probably working at her house, um, doing jobs right. under the table for cheap. So it, it benefits her. It, it, is, it doesn't matter to her if the schools are overrun or if the budgets are busted because she doesn't have any children. She's also not married. So anything that has to do with social policy on marriage, it doesn't impact her because she's 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 just like outside floating, almost like one of those. Um, I forget what it's called, but it's like a little rescue boat that is tethered to a real boat and you can just let it drag along behind the boat. And it just, it just hangs on by a rope. And it has and... no engine. Yeah. <laughs> no engine. No, it's completely no dependent rudder, upon the no big boat. Engine. It just yes. looks like a boat, but it's not really. A well, boat. and it's only there I, to rescue yeah. you. Right. So it doesn't even serve a purpose yeah. unless you're in dire straits. And so she's like the little tugboat behind the big boats <laughs> and all the rest of us yeah. have to we're operate on our own steam. She got by like she's she's rich because she was pretty. She wasn't even a really great actress. She was just very attractive. And now that she can't act anymore because her looks, you know, Hollywood doesn't respect women over the age of 30. Now she's an activist <laughs> and she can still be successful at that and say the most idiotic things because no one expects her to be intelligent. She's from Hollywood. But everyone wants to listen to her because she's saying things that stroke that virtue signal like I'm I'm better than you because I believe in the environment. I love people because I love illegal aliens, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But no consequences. I'm generous because I'm willing to take money out of someone else's pocket and give it to who I like to give it to and call myself generous. I'm rich so I can say bad things about rich people without ever having to be impacted by the things I support that would harm Everybody, not just rich people. Yeah, it's crazy. If you think about it, it's very much what socialism on steroids really is, or communism, is that the people meeting out the force never have to live by the same rules they're imposing on everybody else. I mean, look at the wealthy, hypocrite socialist, Bernie Sanders. (laughs) I mean, these people, look at... Look at George Soros and his sons, which you have to say now his sons, since George Soros is pushing 90, and now we're going to have another generation of Sorosians. Um, they're, they're phenomenally wealthy, and what do they want to do? They want, they want trickle-down poverty for the entire world. That's what they want. They want global socialism, but they're wealthy. And, and this is, you see this again and again and again. I think there's a lot of people on the bandwagon of socialism that think they're going to escape because they're going to be, you know, that so-called 1% or whatever, which is ironic that the left used that. I don't think so. I think they're going to get eaten along with the rest of us. Well, remember, in all of the other countries that went to socialism and then traveled down the path of communism, the ones who were the most vociferous supporters were the first useful idiots and patsies to be gone away with because they were very vocal in supporting it, right? And then when things weren't going right, they were very vocal in criticizing it. And they they go to the gulags first. They're the first ones through. 
I agree totally. And that's what they don't know. And that's what makes them useful idiots <laughs> for that simple reason, because they've been, they've bought the bill of goods that a lot of people are buying, which is either you'll take care of me from cradle to grave, or I'll be one of the elite that won't be affected by all this misery, like in Venezuela and elsewhere. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm going to ask you a question. Usually I don't, but you know, I'm going to ask you a question. What is your sense when you do your talk radio show of more and more people getting the, the um, what, what the Democrats are, are doing, that they are finally on to them and understand that they are full of lies, full of hypocrisy, they're guilty of what they accuse everyone else of. You know, it's kind of like the blue pill or the red pill. How many people do you think it's growing that people are finally getting it? Well, I think in certain communities, like the Jewish community, because they had that really stark representation of exactly who the Democrats are now, as opposed to who the Democrats have traditionally been, um, the, that Ilhan Omar's numerous statements about Jews and and American Jews and Israel, um, there's been an awakening in the Jewish community, I think. Now, is it enough to cause people to radically change how they vote? Because being a Democrat is a part of an identity. I don't know. But I I know there's a lot of really tough discussions going on. And I don't know if you saw there was this big announcement, Debbie Wasserman Schultz and um, one of the black legislators, they come together and they now have a black Jewish coalition within the Democratic Party where those two groups that have been marginalized by the rise of illegal aliens and people from Islam, Islamic countries becoming the new poster children for Democrats. These two groups feel marginalized and left behind. So they're now banding together. I don't know if that's enough to save the votes that they could potentially lose, but I think there's an awakening within the Jewish community. I think black men in particular are seeing that it's not so much that Democrats want to help them as they want to keep them in a constant state of victimhood and men naturally are have an aversion to being seen as victims. And so with this kind of economy and these kinds of opportunities, black men are voting in larger percentages for president Trump and for Republicans. And I'm hoping to continue to see that trend. And I really wish that black women would give Republicans an opportunity like the black women in Florida did for uh, Governor DeSantis, they've been able to see that school choice is something Republicans will give, Democrats will never give, so they voted for Governor DeSantis. I'm hoping we'll see more of that. That's exactly yeah, right. they want they want I, school choice, and 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 he will give that to them. Um, and so I'm hoping to see the Republicans catalyze capitalize on that and spread it around the country in other races. You know what? Karen Cataline, KarenCataline.com, K-A-R-E-N-K-A-T-A-L-I-N-E.com. Um, Spouting Off is her podcast, and it's been so great Thank to you. chat with you. Thank you for coming Stacey, on. Stacey, you and I can do a Black Jewish Coalition on the right. That's what we ought to do. Oh, you know what? I'm loving that idea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. We <laughs> Have a great weekend. We'll be back with the last segment of the show today. Right back. This is Kay Arthur. Are you hungry for love, unconditional love? Because unconditional is what you need. You've blown it, made a mess of life, and deep inside you wonder if anyone could love you the way you are. God does. And that's why God let His only Son, Jesus Christ, die on a cross almost 2,000 years ago. Jesus died for you because God knew you would fail to measure up. That's how much God loves you. 
The Bible, God's book, says while you were a sinner, a person who failed and missed God's standard, Jesus died for you. But that's not all. God raised Jesus from the dead. Because Jesus lives forever, you can too. If you want unconditional love, dear one, and a new start on life, call 888-NEED-HIM. Let me repeat that. If you would like to speak to someone right now about beginning a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, call 888-NEED-HIM. There are many ways you can listen to the shows of Urban Family Talk. One of those ways is through our very own app. Whether you have an iPhone or an Android, just go to the App Store and search for Urban Family Talk. You'll have immediate access to 24-hour programming as well as the podcast for each show. You'll be able to tune in no matter where you are. Speaking of tuning in, we have our own channel on another radio app called TuneIn. Cool, right? Urban Family Talk is everywhere. Just download the app and take us wherever you go. The Christian life is a battle. A wise soldier puts on the whole armor of God so that he is able to stand against the wicked schemes of the devil. We can have victory over the enemy when we go into the battle, not dependent on our strength, but dependent on the strength of Almighty God. The Hour of Intercession with Joseph Parker, weekday afternoons at 1 Central on Urban Family Talk. It's Fox Wheels. When you recycle plastic bottles, do you ever stop and think, where is all that plastic going? One answer, Ford vehicles. If you use recycled bottles, which includes water bottles, pop bottles, even ketchup bottles, you can make them into new fibers, which we convert into shields, underbody shields and shields around the wheel liners. Tom Swader, a designer at Ford Motor Company, saying that Ford's averaging about 300 recycled bottles per vehicle. That's 1.2 billion recycled plastic bottles per year. The benefits. One is they make the vehicle quieter. The other one is they improve the fuel economy. Making the vehicles lighter and helping out with the environment. Ford Europe was the first to use recycled plastic back in the 1990s on the exterior of vehicles. Today, most cars, vans, and trucks that use rear wheel liners use recycled plastic. That's Fox Wheels. I'm Jeff Manasso, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It is the assessment of the United States government that the Islamic Republic of Iran is responsible for the attacks that occurred in the Gulf of Oman today. This assessment is based on intelligence, the weapons used, the level of expertise needed to execute the operation, recent similar Iranian attacks on shipping, and the fact that no proxy group operating in the area has the resources and proficiency to act with such a high degree of sophistication. Taken as a whole, these unprovoked attacks present a clear threat to international peace and security, a blatant assault on the freedom of navigation, and an unacceptable campaign of escalating tension by Iran. Prime Minister Abe made a trip, a historic trip to Iran, to ask the regime to de-escalate and enter into talks. Iran's Supreme Leader rejected Prime Minister Abe's diplomacy today by saying he has no response to President Trump and will not answer. The Supreme Leader's government then insulted Japan by attacking a Japanese oil tanker just outside of Iranian waters, threatening the lives of the entire crew, creating a maritime emergency. Iran's foreign minister today responded to these attacks. He said sardonically, Quote, 
Suspicious doesn't begin to describe what likely transpired this morning. End of quote. Foreign Minister Zarif may think this is funny, but no one else in the world does. Wow, that was Secretary of State Pompeo, and he just did not hold back there. Um, when we're talking about the 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 facts of what have happened with this oil tanker thing, um, yeah, it's it's a it's something that our country is going to have. We're going to have to be very forceful. Fortunately, we have President Trump in office, and he's not afraid of using military options. He's not afraid of unleashing the power of the United States military. He's going to listen to the generals and the people who are on the ground and more closely, um, you know, acquainted with what has to happen in this situation. And he's going to he's going to let them do what they need to do. And that's the benefit of having a president who isn't afraid of our military or of using our military might to get our aims accomplished around the world while still keep in keeping with he wants to see us bring more people home. And I, I, you know, love that about Donald Trump, that he wants more of our people back at home. Um, That's the way it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to be in every single country on the planet. It's just it's ludicrous. So. Now, turning to more uh, comments from from Trump administration officials, you have National Security Advisor John Bolton, and he talks about how foreign regimes use the division and the lamestream media, talking snake media, their propensity for lying about the president and for painting half of America as racist, you know, homophobic, uh, you know, marshmallow heads. He really took it to them, and he's at a Wall Street Journal forum here. So the guy who's interviewing him is employed by the Wall Street Journal, and he, he wasn't happy to hear what, what um, John Bolton had to say. But he sat there and he took it. It's number five. We have substantial reason to believe that North Korea, Iran, uh, Venezuela, uh, Russia and China uh, have made a decision to, and you can see it publicly, to try to uh, sow disinformation about uh, the administration and to say that the president and his advisors are divided and things like that. We've got uh, the foreign minister of Iran talking about the B team, which I'm happy to be included in with Bibi Netanyahu and uh, Mohammed bin Salman. But this is North Arabia. Korea or Iran. This is the Wall Street Journal. And the That's New York my Times. point. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the uh, stenographers of these regimes in the American press immediately pick it up. As That's if unfair. It's, no, it, no, it's not, actually. <laughs> I mean, I'll give you an example. Not, not from the Wall Street Journal, but from the New York Times. So, so I was in Japan recently when, uh, when the president met the emperor and, uh, and uh, Prime Minister Abe, and I had a cold. So I didn't go to this formal dinner. And that was duly noted in the New York Times, like a sort of Kremlinology. Bolton's absence at the dinner was noted. Well, noted by the New York Times and CNN. I was asleep trying to shake my cold, but they didn't bother to ask about but, but that. The- um. So did you hear that? He basically used an example of how the media took something as benign as him being in a foreign land, traveling on business for the United States, and being unable to attend one of the dinners because he had a cold. So with the permission of his boss, the president, he simply did not attend the dinner. It didn't mean that he wasn't available for the meetings or for the, the, the actual parts that were like he had to be there. But instead of sitting at the dinner table with his nose running and looking all, you know, sickly and ruining everybody else's experience, he decided to go back to his hotel room 
and sleep so that he could be fresh and ready to go the next day for the more important parts of the, the affair, which is the actual daytime meetings. And they took that and turned it into some kind of rift between him and the president or his inability or no desire to be a part of the dinner. And instead of the Wall Street Journal employee who was you know, doing the interview actually admitting that that, well, you know, that actually wasn't good journalism. They could have reached out to you and gotten a comment from you and you and you could have said, I, I've got a cold. I'm just staying in tonight, but I'll be back with everything tomorrow. But instead, they just ran with what turns out to be fake news. He's so right to call them out on it. Um, absolutely right to call them out on it. So uh, I was glad to see him do that. Um, we still have time for calls on Open Line Friday. You can join us at 866-963-2037, 866 963 2037. So, I mean, in, in the big scheme of things, I feel like, first of all, they don't, they don't like anybody in the Trump administration that they're afraid of. And Bolton is one of those people. He, he frightens them because he's not afraid to push back. When they say dumb things or ask him idiotic questions, he'll say, well, that's an idiotic question, of course. And then he just gives the answer. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't smooth it over. He just does what he has to do, which is fantastic. Uh, so, you know, it, people can be upset about that. Um, so I'm going to put the link up for Karen Cataline's article. They don't hate Trump. They hate what he stands for. And I'll toss that over into the live streams if you guys want to click and check it out. Um, so then the, the other issue that I saw, cause there's a, a whole bunch of news stories and we could kind of just do like a quick rundown. Um, so there's, there's, you know, Stephanopoulos's interview. Well, first, before we get to that, cause president Trump's been mocking Stephanopoulos because he's really, really short. He's a tiny little person. And, when walking next to Donald Trump, it's kind of presents this like comical view. And I know how this can work. Normal sized people look small when they walk next to me because I'm over six feet tall. And it's kind of disconcerting for men who are shorter when I'm next to them, they'll say, or oh, I had no idea you were this tall. And it's kind of like, you know, they want to get away. Like, and I kind of understand where they're coming from. I get it. So, but you know, the president has a penchant for picking on people, especially if you try to come at him, he's going to get you. And so the best thing to do is if you have something that's noticeably different about yourself, like you're a very, very petite little person and you're a man, you probably shouldn't come at the president with your little fangs bared and, and claws out because he's going to take you down. And so that's what's happening. Also, um, there's this thing with Kellyanne Conway. So first of all, this is not the same council as Mueller. This is a different um, kind of council. It's, it's the independent watchdog. They're called the Office of Special Counsel. They have put this report out a few weeks ago, but it's just becoming news now. They've said that because Kellyanne Conway, according to them, violated the Hatch Act, that she should be fired from her position. Now, this is interesting because I don't remember the special counsel ever saying anything about the Hatch Act violations that were committed by John Kerry and others in the Obama administration. But I digress because obviously the same standards don't exist for everyone. President Trump has actually heard what they've said. He's read the report and he issued a statement saying, look, um, 
she's not going anywhere. She's sticking around. Thank you so much for your inputs. Here's the quote. No, I'm not going to fire her. I think she's a tremendous person. He was on Fox and Friends. He said, based on what I saw yesterday, how could you do that? They have tried to take away her speech. Now, according to news organizations, they say the president is incorrect to frame this as a First Amendment matter, that the speech that she was engaging in had something to do with campaigns. Um, But he says he's going to get a briefing about it. And um, that's it. He's he's going to get a briefing about it. The end. Um, according to the Office of Special Counsel, Con- Conway repeatedly violated federal law when she mixed politics with her administration work. Trump's not firing her. The end. What what else you got? <laughs> what else do you have? <laughs> I'm you know no offense, but is that all you have? Also, there's this big deal about the uh, polls showing that the president is behind, far behind some of the Democratic nominees in swing states. Remember, we always have to, it's like a PSA that we do here. Remember, they always oversample the Democrats by 9% or more so that they can get the poll results that they want. They don't just do raw polling and call everybody in like 40% of the, 45% of the people are likely voters. 45% of them are unlikely voters. And then... 10% 10% the rest. They don't do that. They, they don't do, um, you know, 30% Democrats, 30% Republicans, 30% independents, 10% unaffiliated. They don't do that. They, they don't do it equally. They poll the, a, a sample size that they predetermine, but within the sample size, they oversample the Democrats. Don't know why. I mean, they used to say, well, the oversampling of the D side because is, is attributable to and they'd give some really academic sounding answer. Now they just oversample the Democrats. They don't even tell you. You have to go into the cross tabs. You have to know where to look and dig down to find out how many Democrats they called and whether or not the people that they actually called and got in contact with were likely voters. Because let's face it, if you haven't voted in 10 years Why do I care who you're planning on voting for? You are not going to be there in the fall of next year. You are going to be somewhere else talking about it's raining outside. I wasn't sure I can make it. I don't have a ride. Blah, blah, blah. You're not going to be somebody who really matters when it comes to the next election. Which, by the way, if you're a Christian, that's sin. That's unrepented sin in your life right there. Could be the reason why your prayers aren't getting answered. So, uh, oh, uh, here's a couple of other things. Um, So you've got. Um, 9% of the millions of dollars that were pledged for the Notre Dame repair for the, the fire that happened at the cathedral, only 9% of the millions that have been pledged have actually been given. So 80 million euros of the 850 million euros pledged have been given. Most of that money, the 80 million euros, has come in small donations given by ordinary people. So the rich folk who said, I'll give a million, I'll give the... They hadn't ponied up anything. And y'all know I don't have anything against rich folks. So that's, you know. Two of France's richest men, fashion moguls Bernard Arnault and Francois-Henri Pinault, were quick to promise 300 million euros between them after the medieval landmark was devastated by fire. The Betancourt family, who owns the cosmetics giant L'Oreal, said they would put 200 million euros into the pot. Last month, Archbishop of Paris, Michel Apetit, 
raised concerns about the pledges, saying that the greater part of these donations have not yet materialized, and the cathedral is in a fragile state. The minister told France Radio the huge shortfall as it stands was due to two factors. He said, first, you might have people who promise to give, but who in the end, they won't. And mostly, and this is normal, is that the donations will be handed over as the work advances, which is kind of logical. When people see them, the work start to move, then they will start to move money out of their bank accounts to support it. So his ministry has stressed that the biggest donors want to know when and how their money will be spent, which is also normal. You're planning on giving 100 million euros to rebuild the cathedral. You want to know exactly how, when you give the 100 million euros, when will it be dispersed to contractors? What part of the cathedral will you be using that money to repair? When will it be done? Of course you want to know that. I mean, why would you give such a huge donation and just be like, use it however you wish? No, absolutely not. So um, 30 people and half of those are clergy, will be allowed into Notre Dame for the service on Saturday. And that's when they're going to have, um, a, you know, a very small service, a mass in the Chapel of the Virgin on the east side of the cathedral. That's a part of the building that's been confirmed to be safe so that you can go into it. So, you know, again, no, no, uh, no shockers there. None of that was shocking. It's like normal to, to hear that. So here's a story that I'm sad to report. Um, The TSA found knives hidden inside a woman's knee brace at Logan Airport. The reason I'm sad to report it is because I have in the past said that it is so wrong for them to do those invasive pat downs on um, people in wheelchairs. And now this woman, she's ruining it for everybody else in wheelchairs. She was at Boston's Logan Airport. She had four knives that she tried to get onto the plane in her air in her knee brace. She's a British citizen. She was aboard a flight, set to board a flight to Paris. She arrived to security in a wheelchair. She put her knee brace on a checkpoint conveyor belt. And then the TSA officer saw the knife-like items in the x-ray monitor. When he asked her about it, she started laughing. They confiscated the knives and she wasn't allowed to fly. Not good. Not cool. All right. Happy Friday to you. Get in the pew this weekend. I'll be back with you on Monday. God bless. And... Thanks for making your home at AFR and Urban Family Talks.